Yo, what is good, everybody? It's your boy, Chris, and I'm back again with episode 21 of Chris's Big Baller Review. Um, I've got a lot of good topics for y'all today, um, but first I want to say, I'm going to start saying this until problems are solved, which I don't believe they ever will be solved, so I believe I'll be saying this for every episode that this podcast exists. Black Lives Matter. And all lives can't matter until blacks are included. I stand with y'all. No cap. But I got a lot of good NBA topics for y'all boys to boys and girls today. Can't forget about my girls that listen. Um, we got the projection for the NBA finals to be completed. We have the things that follow, you know, the, the finals and stuff in October. Um we have a very sad news from the NBA about a certain player that passed away. We have a player who has been coaching for a few teams lately that has became the coach for the select team. Um, We have some very controversial news from the Kings also. Um, we're going to be talking about our next five prospects on um, the NBA the 2020 NBA draft board, most definitely. Um, and then I have a interview that I did with one of my friends that I went to school with that is now a college basketball athlete. I'm excited to bring y'all guys that also. So we're going to go ahead right after I take a sip of this drink and get into the first topic of the day. That right there was refreshing. Alrighty. But the NBA projects the 2020 finals to be completed by October the 12th. They have now created a timeline for, I guess they are now rolling with a 22 game form. I mean, 22 team format. Um, They're going to start resuming the league on July the 31st. We are all excited for that. The proposed model would run through October 12th for a potential Game 7 of the Finals. So we might finish before that on who makes the Finals, depending on who makes the Finals. But, you know, there's always, you know, competitive teams in the Finals. So what do you expect? The NFL also has a Monday night football game between the New Orleans Saints. Yeah. Very controversial news for um, them as of late, but that's not my thing to talk about. Go check out any NFL podcast. They might be talking about it on Coast to Coast. Y'all need to go check them out most definitely. Go check them out here on Spotify also. And uh, they're going to be facing the Los Angeles Chargers. That's also set up for October the 12th. But I don't know if that will actually get in the way. But we'll, we'll see when it gets there. Um... The, the Board of Governors will meet on Thursday to, to finalize a plan to resume the season. Um, so that's really good. So, oh, this Thursday, actually tomorrow, will be the day. Well, actually today. Today will be the day because I'm recording this at 1.16 a.m. on Thursday morning. They will be finalizing a plan to restart the season. 
Um, then they're going to start working with details with the National Basketball Players Association, also known as the NBPA. Um, but some news that I wasn't expecting to actually hear was when the, the next season was going to start, the 2021 season, is expected to start in late December. I'm I'm loving to hear this news because like we were all expecting it to to possibly to start as soon as this season ended, maybe a few weeks after um the the 19-20 season ended, but no. No, not at all. They're saying that they're going it's it's going to be a few months, like a two month, maybe a two and a I mean a one and a half month kind of you know rest in space. And then they're going to get back to playing basketball, which I think is really good for basketball players nonetheless because, you know, they're getting that little bit of time to spend with their family. But, you know, missing all this time, they're getting to come back and play basketball. So, sequentially, not even that, you know, not even that far apart. But all I got to say is that these teams that aren't going to make it to the playoffs, I got I got a lot to say right now. I feel like the teams that don't make the playoffs – are going to spend a lot of time in the gym, and they're going to jail. So this is going to be, you know, a big factor in, you know, some of these worser teams. I said worser. Get your vocabulary correct, Chris. Some of these worse teams, you know, in each conference to kind of, you know, begin to jail, kind of realize how their, their game plan is supposed to work. The players can get, you know, a better chemistry. So teams like the Warriors, the Cavs, the Knicks, you know, they're going to be practicing a lot. So I believe, you know, this could actually help the NBA become more competitive because the players are beginning to, you know, kind of gain that connection. They're, they're getting used to working in an environment with the rest of their teammates, which I really love to hear about. So I'm, I'm ready to, you know, I'm ready to see how this is all going to pan out. Um, But some more news. The draft and free agency is to follow the finals in, you know, in order right behind the finals in October. Um, so with the conclusion of the season possibly happening on October the 12th, you know, the draft and what they're saying is the free agency is going to follow right in after, you know, the finals. See, I'm really loving what the NBA is coming to here because, you know, they got to realize that, you know, it's going this is going to be really hard. This is something different that the NBA is having to face. But, you know, they we're always going to face problems in life and the NBA is facing a problem here. So, they got to find a way to, you know, get the solutions and, you know, things like that. But the draft is typically held on the first Thursday following, you know, the last possible day to the finals. And free agency would usually begin on July 1st. Though, you know, the NBA moved it up to the June 30th last year. Um, So, you know, I'm really loving how the NBA has, you know, correlated these dates to, to, you know, kind of fit the time plan that they have because, you know, this is a lot harder than you think. These teams are going to have a hard time, you know, setting these players up for, like, um, private workouts, um, all these other things, you know. 
they got to really be ready to set these things up. And it's kind of hard when you know everything that's going on. Like these teams, they don't have anything to do. They're just going to be sitting at the house. Well, I, at, at the same time, I don't think it's going to be that big of a problem because the playoffs are basically going to be the same. But it's just like how slow it's going to run because every team is playing in that same, you know, area. And you got to think Orlando has a whole bunch of hotels. Even though I've never been to Orlando, I'm hearing a lot of stuff. Literally every team is going to have their own hotel. I'm hearing. I'm not. I'm not even sure. But you know, every team is going to have to play their game there, and it's just gonna have to be like a scheduled kind of like back to 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 back. You know, it's gonna run the NBA's numbers up because people are gonna start watching basketball again. I'm going to be one of those people. Definitely going to be one of those people. Not gonna lie. But it's just like. How crazy it's going to be once the NBA comes back. Because, like, I'm excited because it's not it's not going to be long before we get some NBA action. It's just like, you know, we've been so long without basketball now. Everything is going to be different. So I'm wondering, are they going to change the courts every time a team plays? Or, you know, are they going to keep the same court? I got a lot of questions to be asked. Um, You know... I'm kind of confused at how all this is going to pan, how all this is going to pan out. But regardless of all my confusion, we all want basketball, and that's all what we're gonna get soon. Um, July 31st is a date that I'm looking definitely looking forward to. It's on my calendar. I have countdowns set for this. I'm ready for basketball to come back. I think we all are. But I have some very sad news. Um. An NBA Hall of Famer and legend himself passed away at the age of 74. And that Hall of Famer was Wes Unsell. Um, The family said in a statement that he has been dealing with a lot of um, lengthy and underlying health uh, conditions. Most recently dealing with pneumonia. Um... The family said he was the rock of our family, an extremely devoted patriarch who reveled in being with his wife, children, friends, and teammates. He was our hero and loved playing and working around the game of basketball for the cities of Baltimore and Washington, D.C., cities he proudly wore on his chest for so many years. Um, If you didn't know, Wes Unsailed... Um, was actually the first and only ever MVP in his rookie season, which is crazy. Um, He was a part of the franchise's only NBA title in 1978 when he was named Finals MVP. He he won the regular season MVP award in 1969 and was a five-time All-Star. You know... I'm not the type of person to sit here and say, hey, I know a lot about Wes Unseld's game. Because I don't. But I know who he is and, of, and you know, of him. Um, You know, it's sad to see that any NBA player passes away. And, you know, Kobe really hit me hard. I'm not going to lie. You know, 
seeing all the news about Kobe that's been in the news lately and, you know, it's real hard having to, you know, deal with a player in your favorite sport passing away and you at least know of them. So, you know, it didn't, this didn't hurt me as much as Kobe. Not saying that Wes Unsealed's life matters any less than Kobe's, but it kind of hurt seeing an uh, NBA legend and a Hall of Famer passing away. Um, I'm just really glad that he was able to leave his presence and leave his figure on NBA players and NBA fans today. And I just have to say, your My Team card is pretty good on 2K. I play with it. It's a very nice card. Um, And, yeah, um, may you rest in peace, um, and you will never be forgotten here in the NBA. We will always remember who you are, Wes Hunseld. You will be talked about forever, and may you rest in peace. Um, but we have good news from the Warriors, hopefully. Um, we have Ron Adams, who was um, one of our coaches off the bench. Um, the Warriors coach off the bench. I'm saying us because I'm a Warriors fan. If you didn't know, Chris is a Warriors fan, but not a bandwagon Warriors fan. Hopefully soon I'll be able to sit down and tell y'all why I'm a Warriors fan. We might just have a sit down with Chris uh, podcast. May step away from some NBA news and just talk about me as a person and why I love basketball. You know what? When we reach episode 25, that's going to be episode 25. Most definitely. I'll do that at episode 25. So y'all be looking forward to that. Um, But Ron Adams would like to return to the Golden State Warriors next season. He was already a part, but, you know, he's hoping to return back because he has to sign an extension with us to, you know, continue his role. Um, he signed a one-year contract last offseason um, in which he stepped away from coaching on the bench and took, you know, on more of a player development role. Um, and, you know, our one of our um, assistant coaches on the bench, Jerron Collins, um, assumed, you know, he was more, you know, involved with, you know, in-game defensive leadership, which was Ron Adams' role on the on the uh, coaching side. You know, Adams said it was fairly difficult in some ways. I think when you're used to being in the fight and you're not in the fight, that adjustment is a hard one. But having said that, I enjoyed one. I enjoyed the year. We have a lot of young coaches. I try to plug in and help them, and especially plug into what Jerron's doing defensively and trying to help him. Change is difficult, especially when you've done the same thing for a number of years as I have. But it was probably necessary. We have a lot of good young coaches, and they need to develop. Hopefully, I can be a part of that process. But yes, not being in the fight was difficult. Um, most definitely, when you've been in a role, and you know you've been working and doing something for such a long time, and you you have to step away, it's kind of like basically... How a play, how an NBA player feels when he has to give up the game at the end of his career, um, you know, LeBron's gonna have to feel that feeling. Steph's gonna have to feel that feeling. KD's gonna have to feel that feeling. All these NBA stars that are in the league right now are eventually gonna have to feel that feeling. KG, D Wade, you know, Dirk, all those guys had to feel that feeling because they, everybody has. You have to give it up at some point. You know, you can't play forever. Maybe LeBron can because of the way his health is looking. That man might play until he's about 47, 48. 
But, you know, having to, you know, give up a role that you've been working with or been been a part of for a very long time, it's hard to give it up. But, you know, sometimes you have to give up certain things to, you know, develop other people because you're eventually going to have to give up that job one day. Eventually, Ron Adams is not going to be able to coach anymore, and he's going to have to sit in his house with his wife, sit down watching movies while he drinks coffee in a Lazy Boy recliner. Adams was asked if he would like to return to the Warriors in the 2020-2021 season. I would like to come back, yeah. I have no reason not to. I want to be involved. So it's good that he wants to come back, and we're looking more than forward to bringing him back. I hope we do. Ron Adams is a nice, very good part of this um, team. And we'd be stupid not to give him a chance to come back and, you know, prove himself on the bench or even just be a part of the organization. We love him being a part of the organization as is. So we're looking very forward to bringing Ron back. But we have some news from the um, newly set up G League Select team. And we have a Lakers player, none other than Brian Shaw, agreeing to become the head coach of the new G League Select team that consists of right now, I believe, Kai Soto, Isaiah Scott, Dacia Nix, and Jalen Green. I'm not sure if anybody else is accepted. I might actually have to look into that right now. Hold up, let me. Because of everything that's kind of going on right now, I haven't really been paying attention to basketball as much. Yeah, the only four players that I'm seeing as of right now is Kai Soto. Isaiah Todd, Jalen Green, and Dacian Nix. Let me click on this little. Yeah, I believe those are the only four guys that are truly popping up. Yeah, only four guys that are popping up, so that's good. Um, That I know that. Congratulations, Chris. You know a little bit about basketball. I know a lot about basketball. Stop it. Um, But Brian Shaw is agreeing to become the head coach. Um. You know, if you if if anybody that doesn't know and is listening to this, the G League Select team is a new pathway for prospects to take as an alternative for going to college. Um, you know, this is offering those guys, you know, kind of that that new look into life, and you know, them kind of learning how what an agent is about, them playing against NBA talent. They're actually getting paid $500 to be a 500. No, I said $500. Stop it, Chris. $500,000. 500000 to be a part of this. So, you know, I'm really excited for them because they're, they're making money. You know, I don't believe Kai Soto was a guy that was heavily looked at as a college prospect, but he's going to be making $500,000. I don't know if it'll fluctuate because Jalen Green is definitely worth $500,000 and Isaiah Todd and maybe Dacia Nix, but I don't know about Kai Soto. He is pretty tall, so he's probably going to be good. Um, but, but the G League select team won't play regular games for like the G, the rest of the G League teams, but they'll pro, they'll play approximately around 12 11, 13 games. It'll all be in that 11 to 13 range. Um, but most recently, Shaw, Brian Shaw, was um, a coach of the Los Angeles Lakers. 
Um, if you didn't know, Brian Shaw was actually a player in the league. Um, over 943 games on his career, he averaged seven points, three and a half rebounds, and four assists. Um, and he had four seasons with the Lakers. Um, three seasons with the Magic, three seasons with the Heat, three seasons with Boston, one season with Golden State, and one season with Philly, and one season with Portland. Um, over his very long career. Um, so that is seven. 10, 13, 14, 15, 16 year career. Um, so, so the guy had a really long career in the NBA and has some experience. And I'm really looking forward to seeing what, um, you know, he could bring to the table as the G League selects a uh, coach and showing these young, um, basketball prospects how it is to play the sport of basketball. So that's going to be a really cool thing to look for. Um, We have some very controversial news from the Kings organization. Um, So this is not a very, um, you know, good topic to sit down and talk about because, you know, especially with the things that are going on in the world right now, um, you know, some things are better left unsaid, but some people can't follow along with that narrative. And yet, you, you definitely have to understand, like, it, it's kind of hard to keep your mouth closed sometimes. And that was what happened in the case of Grant Napier, or Napier. Um, he stepped down um, his role from television play-by-play announcing for the Sacramento Kings. He resigned himself. Um, they, the KHTK, um, 1140 or 1140 also announced that they are parting ways with him. He had hosted a daily radio show alongside former Kings player Doug Christie. His exit comes after a incident of racial insensitivity on social media. Um, I totally don't agree with what he did at all. Um, the team said that Grant Napier, I'm just going to go with Napier because that looks right, had resigned from the Sacramento Kings. We thank him for his contributions to the team and wish him all the best. Then he issued after that following statement um, by the Kings. Um, I want to thank the fans for their overwhelming love and support. I will always remain a part of the King's nation in my heart. He was placed on administrative leave um, by the radio station on Monday, one day after he responded to... um, It's actually all started with um, DeMarcus Cousins asking a question. Um... About the Black Lives Matter movement. Um, and he had to say all lives matter. And you know he he went on with the situation. And I guess you know 
he says some things out of the way. I'm not exactly sure. I didn't research it because I can't find many articles on the internet that had a lot to deal with the situation because I think they got rid of all the audio for that um portion of, you know, that segment that they were talking about. Um, but after he said those certain things, um, they ended their relationship. The radio station ended their relationship with him and players in that, um, former players in that, on that team and that are connected with that organization are backing up DeMarcus Cousins saying that Napier has had a history of racism. Um, you know, me being the person I am, I think I said I had to talk about this last podcast, you know. I'm not a guy that agrees with racism in any manner, you know. And at this point, like I said at the beginning of the podcast, black lives matter. And all lives can't matter until blacks are included, and they're not. And I guess that he had said something out of the way, um, unlike what I just had said then, but you know, that's that's a that's another thing. Like you have to watch what you say. You can lose your job. That's what I'm trying to learn right now because what I'm doing this for is to reach the what I'm what I'm doing this podcast here for is to reach what Grant was doing. Not saying that I want to follow after what he just did there, but I look up to a lot of play by play announcers. And I look up to, like, Stephen A. I look up to guys like Max Kellerman, Skip Bayless. I look up to Shannon. I look up to a lot of these sports analysts and sports announcers, you know, who talk about basketball and different sports. But Stephen A. is my biggest influence, most definitely. Kirk Herbstreet was also another big influence, even though he has nothing to do with the sport of basketball. Jay Billis, he, I have, he has a real big impact on me. Um... You know, I look up to these guys because this is what I want to be doing one day. I want to be doing play-by-play announcing for an NBA team or, you know, a G League team or maybe even a high school team. I just want to, I want to follow my dream and, you know, pursuing talking about the sport I love the most, and that's basketball. Um, but I don't agree with anything that Mr. Grant did here. I, I totally don't respect anything that happened here. Um you know, like I said, black lives matter and all lives can't matter until blacks are included, you know. So I wish the best for Grant, you know, hope he has a good life. But, you know, you can't say those type of things on air. You can't put yourself at risk of losing a job that's paying you a lot of money. And, you know, you enjoy doing your job and you just come out and say the things out of the blue like that. That really puts, that really puts you in a horrible position. So we're going to move on to the next topic here. And um, as I was talking about last podcast, there have been a lot of guys who are being looked at as potential guys to be the head coach of the Knicks. And now I've uh, received insight that Tom Thibodeau is now the heavy favorite. And he considers himself a heavy, uh, I said a heavy, a heavy favorite enough to now start looking for um, assistant coaches and guys he can work with on the Knicks staff. 
So this guy is so confident, and I mean so very confident, that he has decided to to go behind the Knicks back, even though they haven't gave this man a contract yet, to find people to work with for the Knicks organization. Me, me thinking how I think, I don't think this is a good move on his part because, you know, this could kind of give a, a bad omen, you know, to the Knicks on how they really think about him. Um, But, you know, Tom Thibodeau is a very well-experienced coach, and, you know, I don't believe there's anybody else that deserves this job out of him and him and Atkinson. Him and Atkinson are the only two people that, you know, I'd really feel fine with getting that job. Um, if anybody else, if anybody else out of all those coaches that were even mentioned were to get that job, I wouldn't be a very happy person, nor do I think a Knicks fan would. Because my best friend Jaden, who I um, interviewed last episode, um, he wasn't very happy. He, I know he would not be happy at all with an unknown guy that a lot of people don't even know becomes a head coach of the Knicks. So he has reportedly the heavy favorite to become the next head coach of the Knicks. Um, and this is reported by Stefan Bondi of the New York Daily News. And like I said, he was so confident enough that he is making calls to assemble a coaching staff. Um, and, you know, Tom, Tom Thibodeau and Leon Rose, who is now the president of the Knicks, um, they previously worked together, um, while um, Leon Rose was still an agent at um, CAA. Um, you know, Mike uh, Mike Miller and Kenny Atkinson, like I was saying, are still candidates for the role. Um, if anything, I believe possibly either one of those guys that are possibly candidates of the role can get the job. But if they don't, I believe that one of them will possibly take an assistant coaching role with the Knicks or, you know, go work with like another team. But now we are going to segue in to talking about our next five prospects on the board. Um, You know, I think I talked about the first five guys. We got James Wiseman, LaMelo Ball, Anthony Edwards. Um, Who else did I talk about? Who else did I talk about? I'm not exactly sure, but I talked I talked a decent amount about some prospects. Um I think I was talking about I think I talked about LaMelo Ball, Anthony Edwards, James Wiseman, Isaac Okoro, and Denny Avdija. Um last episode and we're going to be talking about five more guys here, and I'm going to be giving you an in-depth analysis 
on their game and, you know, how it could possibly, you know, translate into the NBA. But our first guy we're going to be taking a look into here is a 6'9", 245-pound guy, power forward, slash center, or center slash power forward, whichever one you want to say, from the University of Southern California, Onyeka Okungwu, you know, He's the second-ranked power forward in the class, well, center, if you want to say, behind James Wiseman. Um, but, you know, he's the sixth-best guy here that I think. Um, you know, he's a strong, mobile, quick guy um, who finishes above the rim with ease off two feet. Um, he's a vertical spacer thanks to, you know, the way he plays defense and his leaping ability. Um, and he's a tremendous offensive rebounder, gets those offensive boards um, thanks to, you know, like his, like I said, he's a real quick guy. He's a real, like, you know, he's a buff guy, so he, he definitely packs a lot of strength. And like I said, he's a real, real bouncy guy. So his bounce is another big factor in his game. Um, You know, with him having that such such a big frame, and, you know, his bounce, he's a real good shot blocker. So his shot blocking instincts are out of the roof. Um, you know, at USC, um, let me look at his stats real quick. He averaged 1.6 steals and 3.5 blocks per 40 at USC. So the kid is a great defender, great timing. Um, you know, like I said, along with along with defense, you know, comes with perimeter defense, which is another big thing for centers now in today's NBA because, you know, you got to stretch the floor on any player because at this point I guarantee you 45% of the NBA or maybe even 55, 65, maybe you need to cut it at 70. A majority of these players can hit a three from, you know, deeper than where the three-point line is, five feet back from that, ten feet back from that. These players are coming with astounding range today. So being a really good perimeter defender is something that a lot of teams are going to be need uh, need to be looking forward to. So, you know, his defensive technique isn't great, but him being able to get out there with with his quickness and his good lateral quickness, you know, you know, it doesn't really matter how your technique is. You know, the technique is something you can work on, but you having that quickness already with how big you are, you know, is astounding. So. Regardless of his technique, he's still a really quick guy, and that's what you uh, what you love to see from big guys. Um, and he generally stays down on shot fakes, which is another big thing with centers. They always fall for that pump fake. But, you know, Onyeka being the, the guy he is, he's always going to be looking for that fake, and he's not going to fall for it a lot. So that's really good. Um and like I said, with him being such a good uh being such a good defender, he's always contesting jump shots. You know, regardless of wherever you are, he's always gonna try to put a hand up. And that's what you love to see from any guy who who gives that defense isn't and isn't patchy on the defensive end. Um, but you know, with all these good things, there has to be some weaknesses. Um He's gonna have some struggles in the NBA, and he has had some struggles. Um, in college, um, dealing with his height because he's six nine. Regardless of how much strength you have, height height is a big factor, and he's six nine. Um, 
even though he's a really good defender, when I think when he gets to the NBA, he's going to have some problems being a post defender, especially with the amount of strength that guys like Rudy Gobert have, Joel Embiid. So I think um, in the NBA, he's probably going to have to transition to being more of a, a small forward, power forward guy, you know. Um, he he like I like I said he generally plays hard, but as I was watching some of his highlights in USC, he has some games where he's a no show. You know, I know some some patchy players like that that have no show games, but you know, it's gonna come. It, it's gonna come and it's gonna go. You know, some games it goes and you just don't feel like doing anything at all. Not saying that that's my perspective on how you should play the game of basketball. But, you know, for some players, it comes and goes. Um, At this stage, um, the way he plays, he's strictly a five. Um, Like I was saying, he he might have to transition to the three or four, but the way he plays based on his college looks... um, he looks more as a five more than anything. Um, he only took 10 threes in 42 high school games and went one for four from three at USC. Um, so that's going to be another big thing he's going to have to work on is, you know, developing a solid three-point shot because you're going to eventually need to learn how to stretch the floor regardless. Some guys nowadays can, you know, work. Without having to stretch the floor, but you know, eventually you're gonna have to learn how to stretch the floor. These guys that don't usually generally shoot threes are learning how to have to stretch the floor because you know, today's modern NBA, everybody knows how to shoot a three. So, um, regardless of him, you know, not being the greatest shooter, he has decent mechanics from the free throw line. Um, but other than that. That's where his game takes a huge tumble. Um, and, you know, he's a capable passer. So, really, what I'm getting from this kid is a really big, really buff, can't shoot, decent passer, but he's not the best ball handler. So, we're basically getting Ben Simmons light is basically what I'm getting from this guy. Um it's not a bad comparison, but, you know, that's not the comparison that you really want being a player because Ben Simmons uh, does receive a lot of hatred for the way he plays and that he doesn't have that great of a three-point shot. But not for me to say. I'm not going to sit here and talk down on my guy. Um, I'm thinking, you know, uh... I'm thinking he. I don't think he's gonna be that star guy for any team. I feel like he's just gonna be a really good role player. Um, he could fall from this sixth spot for me, but what I've seen in college, I think the kid is going to be in the top ten. But he does have the potential to fall out. Um, but my projected role from him is to basically be DeAndre Jordan. Be a shot blocker and a lob catching guy. You know, that's really all I can say. He's just the next DeAndre Jordan. 
Um, but a guy that I'm really looking forward to is our next prospect we're looking at, and that is the 6'9", 220 beast from Dayton University, Obadiah Toppin, also known as Obi Toppin. You know, the number one ranked power forward in this class and the seven ranked overall guy for me. Um, you know, my strengths that I see from when I've seen him play, um, the kid is an explosive leaper, and, you know, he has solid size. He has really big hands, so he's always, you know, you're never, you're never missing anything when you're throwing him the lob or you're trying to put the ball in his hands. He's never gonna, he's never gonna be a guy to lose the ball on you. One thing you love to see from him is that he always runs the floor hard. You know, you always want that type of guy on your team that's gonna run the floor hard, like a Draymond Green or a Russell Westbrook. That you know, it's just gonna trample their way down the court and get down there as quick as possible to make a defense, I mean, uh, you know, a really good chance at doing anything on the offensive and defensive end. Um, One thing I really saw from him, he is one of the most, and I mean possibly the best, efficient transition scorer and finisher in college basketball. And uh, just like Onyeka, he's a really good guy to throw that lob to out of the pick and roll. Kid is a beast. He is a lob-catching machine. Um, he really has a versatile offensive skill set also. You know, he can space He can space the floor. He, um, he can pop the three unlike Onyeka. So he might, he might, he's kind of, it was kind of hard to place Onyeka and, and Obi, you know, but in a sense, I think Onyeka is kind of higher right now because of his, you know, his his muscle and how his physique looks compared to Obi. Um, but he can pop out, hit the three, and he has sound mechanics and can score in the post. Along with being able to do all of that, um, you know, he tank he he takes advantage of switches. Um, you know, the kid is a he he's a, actually a really good solid uh. Handle. He's he's a solid handler, um, being his size. Um, he takes advantage of switches with jump hooks, um, over either shoulder or quick spins. Like I said, he's a comfortable post passer, and he handles double teams fairly well. And he has like a a feel for the game that a lot of, that you don't see from a lot of uh, younger guys. Um, he has fairly, you know. The difference between him and Onyeka is defense, and that's where I kind of think Onyeka gets the upper hand on him, is that Obi is not that great of a defender because he's limited, you know, with his size and his 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 physique. Um, he plays passing lanes, and he will protect. The, like he he doesn't matter about his physique. He's always going to try to you know put his body on the line to get that defensive stop, and that's what you love to see. Um, he spent most of the season playing center. Um, and has decent verticality and shot blocking timing when when he's fully engaged. And like I said with Onyeka, where a lot of good things come in play, there are things that are his weaknesses. And like I was saying, he isn't the greatest defender, so he does lack that degree of versatility and upside on the defensive end. Um, 
He's an upright mover with choppy strides. He struggles to sit down and slide with perimeter forwards, and he doesn't change direction all that well. Um, like I said, his defense is really what you know kind of gave Onyeka the upper hand for me. Um, discipline comes and goes as a pick and roll defender. You know, defense is a really big factor, and I think that's where Obadiah is gonna have to. I say Obadiah like he's my son, but. He's going to have to work on that a lot this offseason. I think the kid is really good. He's a really good kid um, when it comes to playing defenses. You know, he has that heart. He has that intensity that you love to see from a guy. But you just got to realize, you got to put all your, you know, you got to uh, try your best on the defensive end regardless of your physique. Um, he has issues with more physical bigs. Like I said, his 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 physique and the way he looks um, – not saying that I, I I'm not saying anything about the way he looks because if you see how I look, these fat rolls are poking out. Um, but his physique is really what's gonna you know cause him problems because he's got that skinny frame. Um, yeah, he's gonna have issues um, with bigs given his light base. Um, he's buried in the post regularly and it's not always the most engaged rebounder. Can he play any small ball five in the NBA? I think he can. You know, if P.J. Tucker can, Obi can. So, I got hope for the kid. Um, But my projected role for him is a run and jump big with stretch skills. I think his game will, you know, preferably work well and transition into the NBA you know, if he just gets if he gets a little bit better on the defensive end. You don't have to be the best defender. You know, you got guys like who I think over time that aren't really good defenders that were really solid. Like Lamarcus Aldridge wasn't that great of a defender. Um, a lot of guys really don't come to mind. I wouldn't. Uh, really good power forwards though, wasn't that good defensively. I wasn't always a big fan of Tim Duncan on defense. You know, he was a real good offensive player, but his defense was sometimes lackluster to me. Um, Carl Malone, you know, guys like that didn't always have the greatest defense. Um, you know, with the way the kid plays, his stretchability, you know, is another big factor on why I think he will actually fit in with today's NBA. So, so I think I think that's pretty good for him. So I like what he brings to the floor there. But our next guy that we have is a 6'5", 175-pounder um, who was heavily talked about at the beginning of the season but kind of dimmed down near the end of the season. And that is Tyrese Halliburton from Iowa State, the second-ranked point guard in the class and the eighth-ranked overall guy for me. You know... He has the good size for a point guard um, that will give him that that advantage to guarding either guard position. Um, he's a fluid athlete, and he changes speeds with long strides is what you love to see from, you know, a young guard. Kind of, you know, has that De'Aaron Fox, Russell Westbrook, John Wall speed. Um, he has polished footwork and smooth body control. But, you know, he's still developing um, physically, especially with the small frame that he has. He's one of the highest, he has the high. Has I'd say possibly the highest IQ along with Nico Mannion, who I will get to in 
later episodes because he's decently low on my draft board. Um, even though he's from my University of Arizona, which I love. I love me some Nico, but, you know, there's guys that are over him, and I'm not going to, to be biased. Um, you know, he has tremendous vision and makes the game easy for other guys. You know, his size, length, and feel for the game gives him that, that factor on the glass getting in passing lanes and even blocking shots on occasion. The kid is a solid defender sometimes. Um, and another good thing for him, um, on the college level, the kid was actually a 43% three point shooter, which is really good. And that will transition very well over into the NBA. If he, you know, keeps his feet, you know, on the ground and stays 10 toes down. Um, and he also shot 78% from the free throw line, which is pretty solid for a college athlete at this day and age because players still can't – I mean, these, these players can't shoot free throws that come out of college nowadays. Um, he's a reliable guy with his feet set despite his unconventional mechanics when it comes to shooting. The kid's jump shot does, does not look the greatest. I'm not going to say Lonzo bad, but his, his jump shot doesn't look the greatest. Um – and the kid's also good at floaters. He got that. He got that curry touch. Let me stop. Let me stop. <laughs> um, but like I said, with all good things, there come some bad things. And here are the bad things and my weaknesses for him. Um, he has played off the ball quite a bit in college due to his struggle with creating offense. So he. he as, when I saw him, you know, kind of, I was kind of watching highlights. Um, shout out Frankie Visions for you know releasing a few highlight reels on him because I don't get access to watch ASU games that much. Um, he's a guy who always plays off the ball and will come get the ball like off of screens and stuff. He isn't the greatest playmaker, not playmaker, but well, yeah, playmaker, but in a sense, you know, trying to make a play and create space and stuff like that. He kind of has problems doing that. Um, he can't always beat better defenders off the bounce cleanly. Not, not you know, like, he can get past them, but, you know, it's not going to be the cleanest thing. Um, you know, like I said, his jump shot isn't the best, so, like, the low release on his jumper, you know, makes it difficult for him to get his shot off at times. Um like, if you put him beside a guy like James Harden or guys who – Steph Curry, if you put him beside guys who are generally, you know, is a high-volume shot creator and does this, then the kid will prosper. Um, You know, with him being such a small guy, his, his, um, his frame limits him on both ends. So he gets knocked off his paths easily and, you know, gets forced to settle for difficult shots from outside of the paint. Um, he has a, you know, he has a, a problem with avoiding contact. You know, he doesn't want to, you know, get contacted. You know, he's a guy who kind of fears getting contact. Um, which I'm totally along with because I am scared of the paint now. Y'all will y'all will get that um, talk from me, episode 25. I'll be looking forward to that. I mean, he only attempted 71 free throws in 57 games in college. Um, 
And the team went just 10 and 12 with him on the roster this season. Um, yeah, not too good from, not, not, not too good from Tyree Stater. Um, it's going, he's, uh, going to be more appealing to teams with existing pieces in place, which limits his ceiling among bad teams picking him up. You know, teams that have a lot of pieces and that are, you know, willing, I wouldn't say willing, but teams that, you know, have those really good pieces and a like I'm saying, uh, like a team that's in the top ten, maybe like the Kings or, you know, that's why I think he'll kind of drop because those upper teams are really looking for that that dominant guy, that dominant guy who's, you know, going to give them that force regardless. Like Anthony Edwards, James Wiseman, LaMelo, those guys can create. Tyrese lacks creation. So he's going to need to play with the creator to prosper. So... I think that'll probably what that that's probably what'll make him drop, but you know he's he still got a decent high volume like feel to me. So he's just a secondary ball handling three and D guard. So basically, Tyrese Halliburton. I hate to say it, but you're Eric Gordon. You're Eric Gordon. Sucks to say, and I didn't want to compare you to Eric Gordon, but my guy, it had to happen. You're still good, though. The next guy we're going to be looking into is a guy who I've really been looking into, and his name is Killian Hayes, a 6'5", 192-pound guard from France. I don't want to say point guard or shooting guard because I'm not exactly sure what position the kid could play it. So... His strengths, you know, what he's good at. He is a he has the great size um to be a lead guard. You know, he has a strong frame, unlike Tyrese. You know, he kind of has that muscle and that feel and that build to be, you know, that stronger point guard on uh on the team. And he has the the tool to defend either guard position when motivated. You know, some players kind of you know lack that feel to actually play defense sometimes because, you know, they don't always have their hands on the ball, so they're not the most motivated. Um, but you can't blame them. I personally can't blame them because sometimes, you know, I'm not always the most motivated guy on the offensive end or the defensive end, so you can't really blame them. The kid, a really good thing that I've seen in the highlights is that he can change speeds really quick, and he's really good with his footwork. So he always can change directions really well and really solid. So that's what you love to see from Killian there. Um, and he's fairly flu. He's a fairly fluid athlete who can use his size. Most definitely, I've seen this in plenty of clips where the kid has used his size to overpower, you know, smaller guards. So that's what you love to see from a guy who you need. That's basically. What Russell Westbrook does, he uses his ability and his big frame to to get past smaller guards, and that's what you look. That's what you want from any guard. You need him. You need a guard that's going to be able to go out there and say, "Hey, I don't like you. You're small. Get out of my way." Um, he's a comfortable pick and roll guy who's a three levels. He has three level scoring potential, 
and creativity with a passer when he's able to get the ball to his left hand. Um, and he has also, over the years, improved as a shooter. He can rise into mid-range pull-ups or even bounce out to three with step-backs. Um, he also shows glimpses of um, finesse as a finisher with his left hand in the paint. That's what you love to see from a uh, guy who has a frame that's trying his best to become that three-level scorer. Um, he's fairly experienced and productive for his age, um, only playing 72 pro games um, in BBL, France Pro A, and the Euro Cup. And he should be able to have an instant impact if he's in a situation where the ball is in his hands. So that's what you love to see. You want a guy who's got that experience. And some of these kids, even though they played in college, don't have the best experience because, you know, some of those college teams really aren't that competitive, to be truly honest with you. Um, improvement areas, you know, like I said, with all the good things come some bad things. Um, he's average athletically, both in terms of burst and vertical explosion. Um, he struggles with aggressive ball pressure. Um, one thing I can tell you when I watched him, sometimes when that, that, that harsh and, you know, intact defense gets in his head, it's hard for him to create. So that's one thing he's going to have to um, work on and get ready to translate into uh, NBA basketball. He has turned the ball over on 25% of his possessions, and that's a really bad statistic. That's something he's really, 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 really going to have to work on because that is not a statistic that any team wants to have um, on a part of their team in the NBA at all. Um, he can change speeds, like I said, and direction, but he doesn't quite have the shiftiness. Um, to be the best rangy defenders off the dribble consistently and will have to become a more consistent shooter to combat that problem. And he doesn't get to the free throw line at a high rate, and that's what a lot of guards need to do in this NBA. They need to be looking to be fouled. Um, and that's something that Killian really fails to do sometimes. But I feel like, you know, if he just works on his explosiveness and, you know, kind of his frame and build, that's something that, you know, can come along sooner or later. Um, He's extremely left-hand dominant, so that's where it's really going to hurt his game because in this NBA, you need to learn how to be, I wouldn't say ambidextrous in a sense because you don't need to know how to use a whole hand to another full potential, like be able to shoot left-handed and right-handed. But you have to know how to, you know, be really solid um, finishing with both hands, so the lack of willingness to use that right hand limits him all over the floor. He's going to have to learn how to use that right hand or it's going to be a real big failure for him. Um, his defensive intensity, like I said, comes and goes. Um, everybody's a patchy defender at times, um, and he struggles with very uh, with speedy guards. Um, while improved, his approach to the game was a question in the past. Um, how much of his uh, success is a product of the freedom and volume he was given um, with Ohm and has looked ordinary at, uh, ordinary at times when surrounded by strong athletes. Um, Killian is a really, really nice athlete. He just has to, you know, play better defense and, you know, his frame has to, you know, it has to, you know, work in the NBA. He has to be able to learn how to, you know, have that unpatchy defense. He needs to, you know, be able to, you know, stick with those speedy guards like Colin Sexton, 
De'Aaron Fox, Russell Westbrook, those guys can blow past him easily with the way they're saying he is here. And I can tell you that because I've watched a few of Killian's highlights. Um, But at the most, the kid is just going to be a playmaker. He can playmake. Um, if he can, you know, get better on the defensive end and, you know, push harder on offense, the kid can be really solid. And I'm really looking forward to what he can bring in the NBA. Um, we're going to move into our next guy here and our last prospect of this podcast. And we got another guard here um, that I'm thinking like is it going to be like a combo guard um, type of guy. And that is going to be a 6'5", 188-pound guy from the USA who was playing overseas in Australia, RJ Hampton, alongside LaMelo Ball. Um, he's a quick, explosive athlete with, you know, like I was saying, nice size for, to be to kind of be like a combo guard. Um, and he has, he, he's, he's grown three inches over the past few years. And is far from a finished product physically. Um, the kid has a lot of potential to get bigger and, you know, taller, things like that. Um, he plays above the rim um, with ease and space. And he's, he has a very uh, explosive first step with the ability to shift gears on a dime. And he uses Euro steps well on the open floor. That's one of his, one of his favorite moves to go to when watching a lot of R.J. Hampton highlights. Um, he has a versatile offensive game. He could play on or off the ball. Um... At his best, um, he's always putting pressure on the rim with his speed and transition um, and in the half-court setting. Um, he's streaky yet developing shooter who can make a spot um, who can make a spot three or a mid-range pull-up with nice elevation. Um, very solid but streaky jump shooter, as they were saying in, in his highlights and his games that I got to watch. Um, he holds a quite a bit of play, playmaking um, potential. Um, he has a sound feel for the game and at his best in the drive and kick situations, like going towards the rim, catching that guy that's out there on the perimeter, hitting him with the with hit him with hitting him with the rock and then hitting that three. Um, you know, not the most crafty playmaker, but you know, can can do what he can do to, you know, get the offense involved, will get his teammates involved. Um, his fundamentals need work, but has the tools uh, to defend either backcourt spot in time. Um, he has quick feet when fully engaged, and his positional length allows him to contest shots on the perimeter. And he can close. Uh, he covers ground quickly on uh, closeouts. And like I was saying, with a lot of good things comes bad things. Um, but you know, along with having such a solid foundation overall. He doesn't quite yet have one elite skill, you know. With him having such a nice foundation, you're like, hey, what's this kid's one good thing that he has as a part of his arsenal? There's nothing really there. He's he's an average playmaker, an average shooter, an average defender, average everything. You know, there's nothing wrong with that, you know, at all. He just needs to become a more consistent three-point shooter, especially off the dribble. And he will turn down rhythm threes once he misses one or two. You know, he kind of has that sense of, you know, demotivation where he's just like, I'm not making any shots. I'm just going to let my team do their thing. Um, 
and his handle slows him down and his handle slows him down against elite defenders. Um I can say that I agree with that because it happens to me a decent amount. Um he can stand to toughen up um both as a finisher and a defender. Um he only shot 3.6 free throws per 40 minutes despite his athletic tools and he gets taken advantage of by stronger guards defensively. A thing that he's going to have to work on is his defense. Like I said, he has the potential to be a, a solid defender. Um, yet along having the length that he has and the wingspan that he has as a six-five guard, um, the kid can become better on the defensive end. He just has to, you know, tap into his defensive energy that lives with inside him, and, you know, become a better defender. Um, like I said, his defensive technique needs work. Um, he gets hit on screens far too often. More due to his fundamentals than his lack of strength. Like I said, his physique is the thing. His technique is what's really bothering him. Um, his fundamentals on the defensive end. Um, he it, it, he doesn't direct the ball handler in one position or another. He's always that guy. He, I say he's Stephen Curry on the defensive end. Stephen Curry isn't always on the primary ball handler on the team. He's always on the secondary ball handler. Um, you kind of can't blame him for that. Cause Steph isn't the best defender. That's why they always has. They, that's why they always put Clay on like Russell Westbrook when they when they played against OKC and would have Steph on you know Andre Roberson or something like that. Um, he has a narrow based and a hunched frame, and his focus comes and goes off the ball. Um, you know, my projected role for him. He's a really good creator on offense, so. He's just gonna be a created a creating combo guard for me. I'd say like a Donovan Mitchell light, you know, with the, with his craftiness with finishing and you know his rim rattling dunks. Um, he could play either the point guard or the shooting guard position and kind of plays just like Donovan Mitchell does. To be truly honest with you, um, and that was our last prospect for the day. Check back the next podcast for our next um. Our 11 to 15 guys there. Um, um, But my next part of the podcast and our final part of the podcast is our interview of the podcast. And I actually got to do an interview with one of my classmates who is now a college basketball athlete for the Southwest Mississippi Community College Bears and I'm glad to be able to, you know, I was glad I was able to ask him some questions and, you know, kind of get an input on how he feels about basketball and how, you know, it feels to be a college athlete. So I asked him, how you doing, bro? And he said, I'm good, bro. How you doing? Well, bro, I'm doing fine. But, you know, my mind is always on the things that are going on in the world. And, you know, I need to stand up for what's right. So Sunday I will be at a protest. Um... If I if y'all don't get a podcast on Sunday, I'll know what's up. You know, I'm standing up for what's right. Put the podcast to the side to, you know, do things that are right and stand up for my community and stand up for Black Lives Matter, you know. But I said, what is your favorite team and why did you begin to like them? My favorite team is the, this is what he said, my favorite team is the Los Angeles Lakers. And I began to like them because what I, I saw the way that Kobe played and he instantly became my favorite player. And I have always been, uh, I had to be a Lakers fan because of him. Most definitely, man. Kobe's game was motivational, yet pivotal for me 
in the same way with me becoming a big basketball fan. But the per the re no, I'm gonna save that for episode twenty five. Y'all don't need to know why I became a fan of the Warriors or why I became a fan of basketball. So that's lit though. Um I asked him, what is your top five right now? And he said right now his top five is LeBron James, Giannis Antetokounmpo, Kawhi Leonard, Kevin Durant, and James Harden. And when Curry is healthy, he'll be top five. So I think he takes James Harden's spot, I'm hoping, because I hate James Harden. Um, I'll also tell y'all why I hate James Harden in episode 25, too. So I'll have that set up for y'all. Players that I hate, players that I love, no, all that good stuff in episode 25. Um, And I said, what about NBA all-time? And he said, LeBron, Kobe, MJ, Kareem, and Wilt. My top five all-time is MJ, Kobe, LeBron, Kareem, and Magic Johnson. Oscar Robertson followed Magic Johnson. Um, I also talk about why I think Oscar Robertson is in my top ten. A lot of people don't have that look, but I have that look. Um, and I asked him, bro, what does it feel like to be a college athlete and the life that comes with it? Um, he said, it's cool and all, but for the most part, it is very tiring and time-consuming. You have no time to really do what you want, and you're always in practice or a meeting or getting ready for extra workouts. Soon it'll all be worth it. Um, you know, most definitely, man. I see you working hard. I saw you at uh, the Colin versus Southwest game. Can't remember who won. I think Colin won. Maybe Southwest won. I'm not really sure. Um, I think I left early for that game, actually. But, you know, I love seeing what you're doing, bro. You know, basketball is really the way to go for you, bro, and I hope that you succeed in the basketball world. Hopefully, when I get on ESPN, I can uh, see uh, Folly, Folly Bogan. That was my classmate, man. You know, he was on my podcast back in 2020, just um, foreshadowing that this is like in 2030 and you're in the NBA already, um, and I become a sports analyst, things like that, bro. You know, I'm hoping the best for you, bro. No cap. Um. And I said, what made you take basketball seriously? And he said, I took it seriously because I saw it as a way to pay for my education and because basketball teaches you so many things that you can apply to life as well. Um, but what made me take it serious um, is seeing what it's done for other people and just because I truly love the game. And I totally agree with you on that. I had a little, I mean, I, st- I have a deep love for basketball. I mean, I love basketball. Like, deep down inside, this is really what I want to do in my life. I want to talk about basketball, play basketball, everything about basketball. I eat, eat, dream, and sleep basketball. You know, all that good stuff. And, you know, basketball is deeper than just the sport itself. There's a lot of, you know, life lessons that can be taught within the sport. The players that are in the sport and, you know, like the motivational aspect that the sport brings within you. Um, I realized that basketball wasn't for me when I when I realized I wasn't that good and I realized that I wasn't going to be the first overall pick in the 2021 NBA draft by the Minnesota Timberwolves and got to play with Andrew Wiggins. Um, I had that dream for a very long time, and it faded away around junior year. Um, but, yeah, say say less. And I said, thanks for coming on, bro. He said, no problem, bro. Um, it was it was It was great. 
um from you answering these questions, Father. You know is uh you know it's always a great time talking to you, bro. And I love to hoop with you. You know, you being my classmate, you know, I'm I'm you know praying for the best for you, bro. And I hope that you know you follow your dream. Um, you keep you stay ten toes down and you don't give up, bro. Cause basketball is the clear route for you. Um, but guys, that is going to be the end of the podcast here for episode twenty one. Episode twenty two will be coming very soon, maybe even tomorrow night or the night after that. Um, I've been trying my best. I had to take a two to three day break because you know. These are kind of hard to make, not going to lie, because you kind of, I'm doing these generally, I generally do these um, in the middle of the night, so, you know, I don't feel like waking everybody up, things of the sort like that, so, you know, I always try my best to, you know, not bother anybody and push these out for y'all, so soon I'll have some more out, um, but I love y'all, I'll catch y'all in episode 22, and peace out.